Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hand. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. Hey, may I ask, why are we here? What's I Work For Him all about? Well, here's, here's the deal. Your existence in the workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson. God has given that workplace to you as your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So as you walk in your office tomorrow, or maybe you're working the night shift tonight, look around. Each one of the people that you work with each and every day, they were created in the image of our Heavenly Father. And you may be the only Jesus they ever get to meet. Because they're not looking to go to church. If they don't go to church already, they're not looking to sign up. They're wanting to know what's real. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for hope. And we're here to bring that to the workplace. Hey, every day on I Work For Him, we try to take a different approach to helping you and me connect our faith to our workplace. And today, we're taking it to a place we've never taken on I Work For Him. And we've I've done 325 shows. We've got a bivocational pastor here today. So... During the day, by night, he's a pastor, and during the day, he's a leadership expert. We've got Stephen Soupe in here today, and he's going to share how God is working in his ministry, both during the day and at night. Stephen, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. I very much appreciate it. No problem. Hey, we're having a little problem with Stephen's microphone. Is it good? Check it again. 
Okay. Uh, that's much better. That's now much we can better. hear you. All right. All right, Stephen, thank you for being on the show. Hey, let's talk about, let's just hear today how God is working in your life. Tell me how Jesus Christ is making an impact on who you are today. Well, one of the things that I find in my walk with the Lord right now is that God is really continuing to take me through a process of brokenness. So you're not done yet? Uh, none of us will arrive until we actually get promoted to heaven. So no, we're not done yet. But um, as I was sharing with my congregation the other day, one of the things that I am most concerned about is my self-sufficiency as a believer, whether that's as a pastor or as a husband or a father or as a business owner. Self-sufficiency is one of those things where we really want to do it in our own strength, and we really, in that context, we deny our true dependence upon God. And it's something that God is continuing to hone in my life to just bring me to a place of greater and greater dependence upon Him. I mean, it's a, it's a massive undertaking to be a pastor of a church. And, and those of you that have never led a large, small group or have ever played in a pastoral position, you'll never really understand it. But there's a lot of pressure up there in that pulpit because people, they expect to be entertained— they expect to be challenged. Uh, they expect you to live an absolute pure lily white life. They expect you to have, not have any problems. I mean, they expect you to be like super dude. Right, right. <laughs> well, but but you can't, but you're not. No, and the thing is, is that my job as a pastor is very simple. I am to go into the Word every week and take that bread of life and make a meal to feed my sheep every week. Mm -hmm. That's like that my image. job. That's a good image. And if I do that well... I can leave the rest up to God. That's how I look at it. So tell me, you know, you weren't, when, when we first met, you were, you were an associate pastor, you were helping out, but full-time, a leadership expert, consulting with big corporations around the country. How, I mean, this is a pretty big deal. Have you had to give away, give up your uh, consulting business in order to be pastor, or can you balance them both? I really contend to live what I preach. And when I gave my first message as lead pastor at the refuge, one of the things I told my people is our first priority is God. Our second priority is our spouse and then our children and then work and then ministry. And it needs to remain in that order. And so I'm constantly trying to remind myself to make sure that I'm keeping those priorities in order. And so, no, is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's a lot of hard work. Um, but that's how I spell love is W-O-R-K. If you don't work on a relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, your relationship with your with the Lord, or in a work relationship, as far as leading your organization or being a excellent employee in your organization, you're not you're not going to be doing it with excellence. Well, and that that I grabbed a, a scripture verse for you today, First Peter five two, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. That's really what you're describing. Right. You're describing just that, that feeding. I love that. You prepare a meal to feed them. I love that. That's a great image. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I've, um, you know, I've seen um, a lot of times where a pastor can almost like grab a, uh, just grab a feed bag and just kind of cut that bag open and just <laughs> let the people come and eat. and um, Or other times where... Uh, and this is one of the things I struggle with in some of the more um, seeker-sensitive movement in the church is they take about a pound and a half of truth and throw it into a 55-gallon barrel of just feel-good stuff and then wonder why the people aren't growing. You, you can't do that. You have to give them the word and give them the word in full strength. 
I know it's got to be overwhelming, and, and I'm glad you're here to share it today because people need to hear that perspective on, hey, what's it like to be a pastor, and especially a pastor who's also working full-time, really mentoring other pastors of big flocks, in, but they're leaders of businesses. So it's really very, very, it, it's cool. I'm glad you're here. We're talking today with Stephen Soupe. He's a pastor, and he's a leadership expert. And and he's talking today about bivocational leadership excellence because really, Stephen, isn't that the issue? Is there's everything is stretching you. I mean, you're expected to be a pastor, which you've got, you know, do you have uh, 70 families represented maybe, or maybe more than that? I wouldn't say quite that many. We probably have closer to more like 30 families uh, represented. So you got 30 families. They're pulling you one direction. Your leadership consulting business is pulling you another direction. Then you got your family, your wife and your, your kids has pulling you another direction. How do you find, as you start your day, how do you find it that you're able to manage all that stuff? It's a day-to-day thing. It really is. Our, our walk with the Lord is a daily thing, and so it's a matter of trying to be intentional every day to make the most of every day. Um, God's mercies are new every morning, and that's something that I'm constantly reminding myself of, is that despite my weaknesses, despite my failings, God is always there, and he's always going to uh, lead us. I love the fact that there are so many times where even in the midst of our situations— we don't know that God's leading us, but then when we look back, we see his hand and what's going on. And so um, sometimes it's just being willing to just let the day unfold before you, and sometimes that's how it will work for me. How does your morning start off? I mean, t- talk to me about your quiet time in the morning. Uh, well, um, that varies because sometimes it depends on when I can grab my study time. It's not always first time first time in the morning. Um, I do always try to be in the Word every single day, and i my my prayer time is all day. I mean, I pray throughout the day, um, just trying to walk in that reality. But for me, it's a matter of getting into the Word and, and getting fed, finding things that are going to uh, minister to my heart, and then praying over those scriptures, and sometimes taking a passage that speaks to me and really meditating on it throughout the day. So, but a lot of pastors really struggle with balancing, well, and you've got lots, they're balancing their their work at the church, but also then their marriage and they're raising their family. And you've also got a full-time job. How, in addition to being a pastor, how do you and your wife stay on track? Are you guys real intentional about praying together on a daily basis? How are you guys making sure that you're staying on the same page while you have all these things pulling for your attention? We do the best we can to keep our marriage very, very close. We make sure that we have date nights together, that we spend good quality time together. We talk a ton. I think communication in any relationship is incredibly important. It is. And so, you know, that's, an, again, another aspect of it. So talk to me about your church. It's called The Refuge, and it's in Bradenton, right? Yep. Okay, so talk to me about, you know, this church been around for how long? It's been around for 10 years. Okay. And how long have you been involved? Uh, I've been at Refuge for five. Okay. Five and you were years. the associate pastor until three weeks ago. The 17th of July is when you and I talked, and you were getting ready for the 19th to be preaching your first sermon there, right? That is correct. Not your first sermon, but your first sermon as the senior pastor. Right. Prior to that, um, the lead pastor and I were sharing the pulpit because he was also bivocational. And so he and I would preach every other week. I was working through the book of Galatians. He would be working through the book of Romans. And so um, now that now I'm the lead pastor, my study time has 
doubled and my available time has gone in half. <laughs> so that's nice. So that's a little bit of that a challenge. It sounds like a God equation to me. My work time has – my demands have doubled. My study time is cut in half, and I've got more responsibilities. So that – yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds like a God equation. It sounds impossible. And when stuff sounds impossible, that means it's God possible. Right, exactly. All right, so you're – the church uh, located in Bradenton, what kind of you – know, every church ha- tends to have its own little niche, what, what they're really focused on, how they're impacting the, the kingdom in their part of the community. What, what would you say the refuge's um, calling is in your community? Well, that's like actually a multifaceted question in my Good. mind. Well, that means, um, I'm, I means I'm getting better as an interviewer every day. I'm well, asking really complicated questions. One of the the things you said prior to the break was that one of the things a pastor needs to do is is expected to do is to entertain. And I remember when I first took over the youth group, the very first night we met, I told them, I'm not here to entertain you. Um, I actually had some months later a young lady come in who had literally been to she said, I've been to 50 youth groups, and this is the first one that actually broke out the Bible. Um, That's sad. That was very sad. And the thing is, what was worse is that she was a hard-hearted atheist, and it was really hard for her to be in a situation where there are times where our youth group, we would sit and we would study the Scriptures for an hour and a half as a youth group. So I told them, I'm not here to entertain you, and I will not subscribe to that idea that my job as a pastor is to entertain. I don't see that in Scripture. My job as a pastor is to shepherd the flock as best as I know how by the grace and strength of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I so that, that's how you handle the youth ministry. Now you're a senior pastor. Uh, do you guys as a church plan on bringing on another associate pastor so you could share these responsibilities? Is that what you're planning on doing? Yeah, we're working on that right now, working on that right now, because it, this would not be, for me to do this full-time as a bivocational pastor would not be sustainable. Well, you I give mean, yourself a cardiac arrest. Well, I was actually listening to, and this is one of the things that I do. I, um, I constantly am feeding myself, whether it's through sermons or through godly podcasts or, or um, listening to the scriptures. I was listening to a podcast today, and one of the things that they said is that 50% of pastors will not make it past their fifth year. And nine out of ten pastors won't make it to retirement. And part of that is because they just get so beat up in the ministry because of those unrealistic expectations that are placed upon them, especially in the day and age where we are now where we have basically two types of churches. We have these massive mega churches, and then we have these small churches where most of the time the pastor makes little to no income from the church unless it's a home fellowship, and even then, obviously, because of the size of the home fellowship, he's not going to be able to live full-time on that either. So most pastors are becoming bivocational by necessity just because of the financial situation. So, Stephen, let's finish up a little bit about the conversation about your church, the Refuge, small church, uh, but talk about what kind of a church you are and how you're impacting the community through your church. Well, we seek to be a verse-by-verse expository preaching church. So we really dig into the scriptures and really seek to mine the scriptures for as much truth as we can get. It talks about in the book of Proverbs that we should seek for wisdom as if it were gold and silver. Well, you're not going to find gold and silver laying on the surface of the ground. You have to go looking for it. You have to go digging for it. And so, um, like I was talking about preparing a meal, I also look at that my job is to mine the scriptures to try to draw out as much as I possibly can. Um, 
This is an example. Last year, we preached through the entire book of the Bible. We went through Genesis to Revelation as a church, reading it week by week. And then every week, we would do a sermon on the particular passages that we had read. And I was teaching out of the book of Joshua. Um, and I thought it was absolutely amazing that the cities of refuge, that if a manslayer was able to escape to the city of refuge, he was to remain there until when? Until the high priest died. That's right. And that's a picture of Christ. And a lot of people are surprised. Hmm. Never to think thought about, about that. No, but he never is thought our, about that. But he is our great high priest. Yes, and it is. is because of his death as our high priest that we can go free. And so for me, um, that's one of those things that is not laying right on the surface. You have to dig into the scriptures to see some of those things. And that's, So where did you learn to do that? Did you go to seminary? No, I did not. I was entirely soft ta- uh, self-taught. Um, prior to being a leadership coach, I owned a business, started it with myself and two other partners. It was uh, We handled uh, property preservation, which was taking care of bank foreclosed properties in the Sarasota and Manatee County area. Uh, we expanded quickly into Charlotte County. And within our first year, we were handling properties from Orlando to Naples. So, so we went from three people to about 30 in our first year. We did about, I think we did about 600000 our first year. Um, our second year, we did, but we doubled and then the third year, we did $3.4 million. Uh, we were rapidly growing the business. Well, while I was out in the field doing that work, uh, whether it was um, mowing lawns or changing locks or boarding over pools for the banks to protect their properties um, that were in foreclosure and abandoned, I was listening to sermons. I was listening to theological seminary teaching eight hours a day, five days a week. Wow. And so that's where I got a lot of my theological uh, uh, upgrade, up, uh, upbringing, so to sure. speak. And I've been a believer since 1985. And I'll tell you, my theology has changed many times. Um, I think one of the things that we can that, that can happen to a pastor um, in any church is that when someone comes into their church, we can kind of do them a disservice by saying, here's our bag of theology. This is what you should believe, instead of saying, we're going to mine the scriptures. We're going to teach you how to do that. And then you are the one who begins to understand as God opens up his word to you, what you believe and why you believe it. And that's a big theme for me. I, I routinely say that it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. Well, and what you said there was that you, uh, uh Instead of giving people your bag of theology, what the church stands for, you help them. Well, really, I'm going to put it in my own words. You help them experience God the way they were designed to experience God, and God will develop them. As you said, your theology changed over years. God's theology didn't change, but how you experienced God changed over time. Right, because as I understood who he was. and, and yeah, In a more complete manner. Every day it got a little bit better. Right. And, and that's the cool part about... Um, growing as a Christ follower is that every, and this is something that really in the last couple of years, it came to my recognition. I just always looked at people, well, if you're not experiencing God the way I'm experiencing God, you're not, you're doing something wrong. And the thing is, is that was absolutely crazy about that in my experience is that this year I'm preaching through the book of Galatians. I had pre and the, I had preached through that book eight years ago, but Jim, it's, it's as if I'm preaching through the book all as if it was the it's first time. Yeah. It's amazing how I'm seeing totally different things. And that's because of where I am now in my walk with Christ versus where I was then in my walk with Christ and the things that God is bringing out in the scriptures to me 
as I'm studying. Like you said, we're not done till we're dead and gone and, and heading to heaven. And uh, that's that's what's fantastic is he, he's not he's never stops training us. He never stops drawing us closer to him. We're never we're never done learning. Right. And, and that's boy, when I gave my life to Christ in 1979, I thought, well, you know, I got a few things I got to work out here and, and I'll be good. And now I'm 36 years into that experiment. I'm like, wow. I have so much more to learn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know that I've really made much progress. Oh, sorry, Father. All right. So let's, so the refuge, how do people find out about it online? Well, we have, uh, you can either go to gorefuge.com or bradentonchurch.com. So that's gorefuge.com or bradentonchurch.com, which is B A R D E N T I T O N church.com. All right. So what time are your services on Sunday? 10 a.m. All right, 10 a.m. All right, I'm going to make sure I put that out on Facebook. So if you're driving and you're like, Jim, I can't write this stuff down, don't worry. It'll be on our Facebook page tonight. I work for him. Uh, just search for I work for him when you get out there. All right, so your friends, as they describe you, as one of your friends, a good friend uh, that we have, a mutual friend named David, said you're a leadership guru and that uh, you're, you're so awesome. That's really what we want to talk about. But then your whole life changed in the last month. And I want to make sure I talked a lot about your bivocational pastoring, because now that it became your full-time job, so you have two full-time jobs. How how did you get to be a leadership expert? I mean, how did God do that in your life? That's not a short answer. That's um, okay. We got all kinds of time. We're on the air today. <laughs> Share how the Lord did it. Well, there's um, there's a classic argument out there about nature and nurture that some people are naturally born leaders, and there are others who it, they have to that has to be nurtured in them. And I would fall in the first camp of being a natural born leader. I'm one of those people where if I see a situation where someone needs to step up and and lead a situation through whatever that crisis is. I'm the one who ends up doing it. I begin start, you know, to organize and delegate and, and start pushing things out to get things done. It's just something that kind of comes naturally to me. Um, and that's hard to say because one of the challenges in, in being bivocational is as a pastor, because of God's work in my life, he's working a lot of hum- humility and brokenness in my life. And at the same time, you've got to have a measure of strength and self-confidence <laughs> as a leadership right. coach in the business world as well. And trying to maintain that balance is tough. Well, yeah, that's a Jesus modeled servant leadership. And that's you, right. You, you, he had to take charge, but he also had, I mean, it, it's, it's a tough battle because it's, you're a naturally born leader, but the danger is that you'll naturally do the things you, you should let other people learn to lead themselves. Cause people can learn to lead your number two people naturally born. And would you, you call nurture, it? nurtured, naturally nurtured. So how do you how do you focus on nurturing those in your church and in your consulting practice to be better leaders? Well, that's actually one of the pieces of the arena. If you go to my website, arenaleadership.com, you will see that arena stands for awareness, resolve, ethics, nurturing, and achievement. And the nurturing aspect is all about this aspect of raising up leaders beyond ourselves. Because if all we're concerned about is our own legacy— we really think we're, I really think we're missing it. George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers who ever lived, he said, let me die. Let my name die with me, just Christ. And yet today we want our name on ministries and our names on businesses. And, and we really want to be focused on glorifying God. And we can't do that when we're really focused on our own selfish ambition of attaining to a certain place. God will raise us up. We don't have to raise ourselves up. And that's true in the Christian 
church world, and that's also true in the business place. As Martin Luther talked about during the Reformation, one of the things that he did that was so important was bringing back this aspect of vocational calling. So many people, when I go to, when I was preaching two weeks ago, I said, how many of you here in full-time ministry? And everyone was like, not raising their hands. And I was like, you're all wrong. We're all in full-time ministry. Whether we're loving our wives or loving our husbands or serving our children or driving to Sunday school or teaching Sunday school or being in the workplace, we need to do things with excellence. And the reason that for that is because we're doing it as onto the Lord. So getting kind of back to the leadership thing, it's just my, it's just my, kind of my natural bent to try to be the best at what I do. Um, I remember the, the last job I had um, where I met my wife was at a workers' comp insurance company. And I was hired in full time, and I was the youngest member service rep in the entire company. And I inherited the worst territory in the air, in in the state of Florida. I got they always do that kind of thing. I got the Miami Dade area, and I didn't know it at the time, but I had the worst receivables in the company. Within six months, I had the best receivables in the company. But the thing is, is that no one told me where my receivables were until my annual review, and that's when I found that out. So it wasn't like, oh, I just set to work to to reverse this one thing I was aware of. I was just doing my best to do my job. And in doing that, I ended up becoming one of the best service reps they had. Well, and I think that that's something that a lot of pastors have a hard time communicating to their congregants, their flock, whatever you want to call it, that that it doesn't matter what your calling is, whether you're called to dig ditches, sell used cars, be a teacher, be an executive, be a pastor. All of our callings are so important. And then we recognize that it, we do it everything we do for the glory of the Lord, just like it says in Colossians. Stephen, you operate in two different worlds, yet they're some people would go there drastically, polarly different, you know, the total polar opposite worlds, business world and the church world, yet they're really very similar. The world of leadership coaching and the world of being a church senior pastor, how do these two intersect? Well, we all have a responsibility before God to do, as we were saying earlier, everything that we do as onto the Lord and therefore to do them with excellence. I remember I was meeting with the CEO of a company over across the bay, and I was talking to him as a believer, and I said, you know, you're going to answer to God for how you lead this company. And when I told him that about the accountability that we will have before God of how we handle ourselves, conduct ourselves in the workplace, it really shook him up. That's what I don't get. How could he be a Christ follower and be shook up that he was supposed to be a good steward of his business? Because we have this idea in the church that there is a difference between the secular and the sacred that we're Christians on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And maybe when we do our daily devotions and our quiet time, or maybe when we pray over our food and we don't realize that really everything that we do is to be onto the Lord, especially our work. I mean, it is so unfortunate to hear, I believe it is, and don't quote me on this for sure, but I believe it's Wheaton college, Christian uh, college, who has a policy that they will only hire heathens. And the reason that they will only hire heathens is because they have had so many problems with Christians in the workplace taking advantage of them by not doing a good job and out of grace still expecting to be paid for lesser quality workmanship. That's and it should terrible. Be, it is terrible. Well, and do the, they really call them heathens? Let's just call them non-Christ followers or pre-Christians. Let's just do that a little nicer. It's a little nicer. It's a little more politically correct. Well, it was 
you know, uh, that was the, that was the, their double H O, the higher heathen only policy. That's what did they, they called really it. Yes, call that? that's why that I, call, I, I No, but it's, I, I didn't but coin I will, the term. <laughs> but I will tell you, it's true. If you look at how, uh, if you're in a large church organization, a lot of times people, well, first of all, they get paid less in a church organization they would in the, in a corporate world, but they somehow have such lower expectations for productivity and attitude. I mean. I don't know why. I mean, I as part of joining the I Work for Him Nation, which you heard me talk about earlier, it, it put on there that that you're committing to pray for your coworkers and employees, that you're looking for a way to serve them each and every day, that you're looking for a way to befriend them outside of the workplace, that you're looking for a way to pray with them, but all along being the best and brightest, the number one employee in your position in your workplace. Because exactly. every Christ follower should be the best employee in their workplace. We have everything to live for. Right. We've got it. Mm-hmm. We've got the answer to the question the meaning of life. What is it? So we should be the, the best people. The, uh, sorry, you better grab this. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very true. And the thing is, is that we really need to come to the grips with the fact that we are called by God to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And to realize that people really do look at us and say, how can you call yourself a Christian when you talk like that? When you act like that, I was doing some um, consulting work for a company, and one of the guys there professed to be a believer, and he's talking about girls and about how they're dressed, and he's talking in, you know pretty off color. And I went to him and I said, "You profess to be a Christian, and as far as I know, you're the only person here in this company that professes to be a Christian. But I want you to think about the way you're conducting yourself." And it really challenged him. But see, that's but see, that's part of being a leader is going to people in love, not because I'm right and you're wrong, but because I care enough about you that I'm going to challenge you about what you're doing. So you know, I let, let's dot that eye a little bit further because I really think that there's a, there's been a disconnect within our church, and and I want people that that are listening today to realize I struggle with this too. It wasn't until 2006 that I ever had even heard a read a devotional that said, "Hey, my workplace and my mission field do the same thing." Because I always try to I want to be a pastor because I've got a pastor's heart, but I'm, I don't have a pastor's um, demeanor. Let's just put it that way. I don't have and, and <laughs> Stephen's laughing. He's laughing. Okay, but but nobody ever connected that dot for me. Nobody's ever said, "Hey, your workplace is your mission field. Just thrive there." And it is important. People that aren't Christ followers look at people who call themselves Christ followers, and they know how they should be acting. They know it should be different. That's how they're saying. You call yourself a Christian, and you're doing that. Well, how do they know? They just know it should be different than the way they're acting, and you're acting just like them. So they know there's something wrong. Yep, yeah, exactly right. And what a lot of that comes down to for business owners is core values. One of the things that where my faith has impacted my business world is that my partners and I, we sat down and said, what are our core values? And believe it, it's in it, things is that a lot of business owners say, oh, core values, what does that matter? Core values is the bedrock foundation of a solid company. Our core values were right, reliability, integrity, generosity, honesty, and trustworthiness. And we had a situation where our national provider was going to be cutting prices across the board because of the demand of, you know, of supply, the law of supply and demand. They had such a huge supply of contractors that they could demand that we do it for less money. And so one of my partners was like, well, let's just figure out how to pass this along to our contractors. And I'm like, how does that align with our core value of generosity? 
And we constantly were being challenged by people who worked for us who were not Christians. They were saying, you can't run this like a business and run this like a ministry. And we were like, we're going to find that line. And we're going to try to find that line all the time. But it was a struggle. You had to constantly re-look at it. That wasn't something that just came easy, was it? No, it's very hard, especially like what you were talking about with work ethic of, of, of believers. I would routinely tell people, because I know you personally, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard than that person over there, because I don't want that person to think that you're receiving favorable treatment because you're a Christian, because you're my friend. You should be outperforming everyone else here. Not in this, and actually, let me, let me correct that, because that's not a fair thing to say. But they should be performing at the best of their ability. And that may not be necessarily better than everybody else, but they should be performing at the best of their ability and not doing what many employees can do. You know, they work until 5 o'clock, and they're really done at 4.30, and they're just waiting for the last half hour to pass instead of being diligent. I mean, there's so much wisdom in the Scriptures and Proverbs about being diligent in our work. So let's take that a little bit deeper. You're, so you're, you're, you learned, when did you learn to connect your faith to your workplace? Where did you learn that? From my pastor. Okay. From, from the, uh, so you heard it from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Because oh, my, father-in-law, my father-in-law uh, was one of the most godly examples. I'm sorry, that I ever knew. He was a godly man, and he had a huge um, impact on me. Um, and he was bivocational and not only was this guy bivocational, but he worked full time and preached three times a week. He preached Wednesday nights and twice on Sundays. 90% of the time he did the teaching and preaching. He was a phenomenal man of God and he knew the word of God extremely well. And he lived that out. He always worked hard. And I mean, here he was in his late fifties and sixties out working, doing manual labor as a painting comp owning a painting company outperforming guys half his age it's just a matter of mindset of saying this is something that i'm doing to provide for my family and how can you how can you say i'm this is the thing that, to me this is the one of the biggest things is that i'm called by god to provide for my family the bible says if a man shall not work he shall not eat you know if a man does not provide for his family he's worse than an infidel I'm called to do that. If I'm going to be half-hearted in my work, slothful, lazy, how am I being excellent in that? I'm not. Right. I'm and we're all called sin- to excellence. I'm actually sinning against God, my employer, and my family when I'm doing things in that way, as opposed to saying, I'm going to be the best I can be in whatever it is I set my hands to do. Do you have fun working with business leaders? <sighs> yes, I do in a lot of ways. Um, it's tough at the same time because a lot of um, one of the things that a lot of business owners don't see is the things that are holding them back. Um, they, for example, for example, uh, business owners can be held back by pride. Even the most you know devoted Christian believer can be held back by pride because they've reached a level of success, and because they've reached a level of success, they begin to attribute some of that success to themselves, and they begin to get a little big-headed. Um, another big struggle for business owners is fear. They've gotten to a certain point, and now it becomes, how do I hold on to everything I have? And I, I'm just reminded of that passage in Scripture where Jesus said about how the man says, 
uh, he accumulates things to himself, and now my barns are full, and my vats are overflowing. And he says, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. This is, we have to, everything is a stewardship. Everything we have is a stewardship, whether it's our children or our companies or our churches. For me, it's, you know, in the pastorate, it's the same thing. It's a stewardship issue. Am I going to be a good steward of my time? a good steward of my money, a good steward in serving my church? Am I going to be a good steward in my serving my clients or my family? Well, the danger comes into you, you reach a certain level of success because the Lord has brought you there, and then you start to accumulate whatever it be, prestige, maybe it's assets, maybe it's cash, and all of a sudden you become pretty secure in those things instead of being secure in the God who got you to those things. And that's the danger of riches. That's why it's Jesus said, hey, it's easier for uh, a uh, camel to go through the eye of the needle, whether you talk about that was the the opening into the city of Jerusalem or whether that you actually look at an eye of the needle or then a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven because those riches become very comfortable and you get to be that self-sufficiency that you talked about. That one of your biggest dangers be self-sufficient. And it is, it's hard to live by faith, but the best thing you can ever do is if you, you cap your income and say anything above that, I give it away so I don't get attached to it. I mean, that's one of the challenges I give every business leader. Say, okay, make a good living, but cap it. Anything above that, give it away. So you don't. So you you drive generosity, and you you drive away that ability to be dependent on yourself. Right. Um, speaking of generosity, we had a a lady who worked for us, and she had come from a very troubled uh, past. You know, struggled with addiction, and she literally just disappeared for a week. Um, she came back. We we gave her her job back. She had had somebody break in uh, the back window of her car. She didn't have any money to replace it. And we as the owners just said, let's take care of that for her. And we, we just did. Um, we, were ha- we were blessed to be able to send uh, food relief to Haiti when the earthquake hit down in, in Haiti. So, yes, I mean, it's important to maintain generosity. One of the things that my father-in-law taught me is that there's a way to, to get rid of selfishness, and that's by giving. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. Money isn't the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's when we begin to, like you said, accumulate that we begin to love that instead of... So it's the battle for for being dependent on your stuff is to be generous, just like the battle against depression is to serve. I mean, the best way to solve depression is to start serving other people. You know, how how do people find you on Arena Leadership? What's the website? It's arenaleadership.com. Stephen, talk about arena leadership. Who's a perfect client for arena leadership? A perfect client for arena leadership is a company that is really in that transitional place of trying to figure out what's next for them. Um, sometimes a leader can be stuck uh, personally. They can be stuck. They're, they're, they've grown to the cap of their leadership ability, and they need to figure out how to be able to take the organization to the next level. Sometimes the organization itself is stuck because they've grown to a point where the company Every time they try to grow, they stall and, and because something is not right within the organization. And so one of the pieces I also bring in with the leadership coaching is I also work not only on the internal aspects of the leader himself, but I also work on the internal aspects of the organization and help that organization put things together to help make that business scalable because sometimes they get too big to be small and too small to be big and they can't right. figure out how to navigate that in between. Well, a lot of times the leader is limited by he can get it to a certain point and needs to bring in new leadership to get it to the next point. Exactly, or develop that leadership himself. But many times it can be bringing in that right team around him to be able to do that. And so that's where we use some of the assessment tools as well. 
All right, arenaleadership.com, arenaleadership.com, and also your church. They can go out to the website, gorefuge.com, and they can find out more about your church, correct? That's correct. Thank you, Stephen. You know, we learned today that our faith can definitely impact our workplaces. And as we heard from Stephen today, we learned that it really matters how we look at our workplace, that we really need to recognize that we all have a calling, that we all have a calling to our workplace. It doesn't matter what your workplace is, whether you're a pastor, a leadership expert, a used car salesperson, a mom at home, a very high calling. You dig ditches. It doesn't matter what we do. We can do it all for the glory of the Lord, but we need to take it seriously because, as Stephen said, people are watching us in the workplace. They're expecting our behavior to be different than theirs. They're expecting us to set the standard way higher than their standard. When you act just like them, they're going, wait a minute, but you said you're a Christian. So use it as a challenge. You should be the best and brightest example of an employee in your workplace each and every day. Take it seriously. Our Lord needs us to be that example in our workplace. You've been listening to Our Work Ram with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. (laughs) 